Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, folks. This is April 8, 2015. It's episode 60 of Maine Exposed. The content of this program is for educational purposes only. Take it away, Donnie. Thank you, Leon. Good evening and welcome, everyone. We've got a good show lined up for you tonight. I'm Dottie LaFortune, your host. I'm co-host Phil Merletti, and we will be joined by Lise DuPont, researcher and author of Where Did the Original Constitutional State Go? Good evening, Phil. Good evening, Dottie. How are you? And good All evening. right. I hear you had a busy day in Augusta. Oh, a horrible day in Augusta. Oh, I want to hear all about it. And then you're back there again tomorrow. Oh, yes, we are. But uh, I think tomorrow might go a little bit smoother. Okay. And, Lise, are you on with us? Yeah, I'm right here. Okay. Hi, What's that, Phil? I said hi, Lise. Oh, hi, Phil. Okay, uh, folks, last week we began discussing Lee's and Phil's research um, and the changes within Maine, Maine's government since the original Constitution of 1820. And we started discussion on the 1971 document that was found entitled State of Maine Governmental Reorganization, a summary of new departments and agencies approved by the 105th legislature. And we didn't get through all of the discussion, Phil, that you wanted to get into last week. There were questions, few disruptions we won't have tonight. And um, there was some, uh, some more discussion, I think, particularly on, on the sheriffs not being recognized uh, by the state uh, that I think that you wanted to get into tonight. Is that right? Oh, yes, sir. Um, and we also have a special guest with us tonight, Tom DeWeese, president of the American Policy Center, who will be joining us in the second half of the program. Uh, so, Phil, just to get started with the first part of the program, um, what did you want to touch on the particular issue um, regarding that 1971 document. Is that what you want to start with, or do you want to start with your day in Augusta? No, no, let's do this document first. Um, okay. Uh, just to bring people up to date, uh, this document was created in 1971, and it was a reorganizational uh, plan to reorganize the full state of Maine, the, the whole government. And basically what they did was they took 84 departments and reduced them to 10 departments and then created three more specialized departments uh, with, within the executive uh, division. Uh, where we left off last time, we had explained to the people that one of the departments that they had created 
was the Department of Military and Civil Defense. And we had read portions of, of this uh, act that had uh, changed this, this department around that it also included uh, not only the military end of things, but also the public safety uh, aspect. And uh, for people who don't understand what public safety is, it's, it's considered the law end of, uh, of the government that comes under public safety. So what we were saying was, how can we combine the military along with the public safety? So we we read off the Department of Military and Civil Defense Act, and then uh, reading the uh, Department of Public Safety, the Department of Public Safety has a coordinator, and that is the chief of the state police. He's the commissioner. And um, how could we combine that law office with the military? This this has been a a question that a lot of people have uh, questioned me on. I don't. I didn't have an answer until now. When when we look at how they've combined these two departments. It doesn't leave any question anymore as to why the police and how the police have become militarized. Um, we had put this up on the board, didn't we, last week? Uh, are you talking about the document itself, the 71, yeah. 1971? Yeah. Yes, and, and it's uh, there. Do you want them to open that up? Well, if they could just open up to page 36. Okay, let's go to page 36, folks. I'll, I'll give people time to, to do that. Yep. Um, basically, what it says is the special administrative agencies. Uh, special agencies of the executive branch include the Department of Indian Affairs, Reservation Housing Authority, Personnel Department, Personnel Board, State Advisory Council on Personnel. Then it um, gets into this brand new department, the Department of Military and Civil Defense, and here's the mission, to coordinate and improve the discharge of state government's responsibilities relating to the military, veterans, civil defense, and public safety. These offices include the Office of the Adjutant General, Department of Veterans Services, Department of Civil Defense, and public safety. Then they created this brand new Department of Public Safety, and their mission is to coordinate and effectively manage the law enforcement responsibilities of the state of Maine and promote the safety and well-being of Maine citizens. goes on to say, agencies included, Department of State Police, and I'm going to brush over everything else that's under there and jump right into the Maine Police Academy. Now, for those who don't understand, uh, a policeman in Maine cannot become a policeman unless they attend the Maine Police Academy. So how, how do we connect the Maine Police Academy with the military? This is where it all happens. Uh, how many, about maybe a year ago, we discussed the um, Maine Police Academy, didn't we? Oh, a, a little. I think we got into it just a little bit. Yeah. 
And uh, this this is where they recognize people who believe in the Constitution and people who believe in God, and they call them sovereign citizens. And uh, they they have a whole full course on sovereign citizens and how dangerous they are to uh, to to the public. But yet at the same time they say that ninety percent of these people are, are all sovereign citizens in the in the uh, in, in the country. But they really make a terrible uh, explanation as to how dangerous these so-called sovereign citizens are and how the police department has to watch out for them. That sovereign citizens love guns and, and want to do nothing but shoot policemen, and and they uh, convinced the, the police department that um, they should be looking out for uh, sovereign citizens. And through this whole charade here, um, they're all trained in military tactics. And now, the, now, now that the cat is out of the bag, this is why they think the way they do is because they're trained in a military uh, manner. Now, one more thing that we had mentioned last week is what is missing out of this document? What is missing on, uh, in, in this reorganization of Maine? What is the missing? Sheriff. That's correct. In law enforcement, it's the sheriff. And we all know, or we should know, that the sheriff is the chief law enforcer in the state of Maine. So um, why did they leave them out? Good question. But I will say that a lot of this began in 1855, and I'm going to let Lise jump in on this one here. You still there, Lise? Yeah, I'm right here. Are you talking about the 1855 amendment? Well, we might as well start from there, because this is when they started diminishing the sheriff's department and then in 1921, this is where they really started pushing the state police out of uh, law enforcement. But go ahead. We can start with 1855. Okay. The, I call it the 1855 Fraudulent Amendment. What that amendment did, it did many things. And what it did, actually, is that it weakened severely the executive department there is no such thing as the Department of Sheriff or the Sheriff Department. The Sheriff operates, is supposed to operate in the Executive Department. It is the governor with the advice and consent of the council originally that was to appoint, nominate and appoint with the advice and consent of the council the all sheriffs. Now remember, all sheriffs are commissioned officers. They have to post a bond, and they must provide two to three sureties, according to law. If they violate the people's rights, then they can uh, their bonds can be sued out. They can lose their property, lose their money, lose just about everything. And what what bonding company is going to bond them if they continue to get their bonds sued out? Are any of them commissioned, bonded, and provided sureties today? Absolutely not. Okay, what the 1855 Fraudulent Amendment did is that it removed the ability of the governor, with the advice and consent of the council, to nominate and appoint the sheriff. What the 1855 Fraudulent Amendment did is that it 
allows the people to elect the sheriffs. Now, remember what a sheriff is. He is the highest constitutional officer operating in the county. He is a field person. He is the guy that goes out into the county to execute the laws for the governor. If you look at Article 5, Section 8 of the original Constitution, uh, you're going to see uh, where the governor, with the advice and consent of the council, appointed and nominated all sheriffs. By taking, see what that did by allowing the people to elect the sheriffs is that it tied the hands of the governor. Because in Article 5, Section 12, it says that it's the governor that has to execute the laws. But he doesn't run around into all the counties and go, go around executing laws. He has his field persons, and those field persons are the sheriff. So I think I've explained enough on, on what happened with the 1855 amendment. Why do you think it's important that the sheriff remain as the authority in, in each county instead of the okay state. and and the well that's a very good question and and the real reason is because it's the governor with the with the seven members of the council they're the ones that can interview the person they can figure out if he's qualified if he is a person of integrity uh, because remember, the governor has his field person to go out and execute the laws for him. He has a right to nominate and appoint those who he believes are qualified and have integrity, and he must get the consent and, and advice of the council. And by taking it away from him, see, this is equivalent to an example that I use with people, let's say that you wanted to start a business, you get the whole thing running, you find a, a space, you get your office equipment, um, and now you're ready to hire someone, and then Lise comes along and says, oh, excuse me, you can't hire the people that you want, you have to hire the people that I say that you need for your, uh, for your business. And so what that does is that it ties the hands of the business owner uh, because they that business owner, number one, is paying for this. Number two, the business owner can't even decide who's qualified to do the job. That's why it's so important to keep it under the original way because it's the governor who, and with his council, that makes eight people that get to decide uh, who is qualified and who has integrity. Right. Okay. Um, uh, just a minor reason, or maybe not necessarily a minor reason, is that the sheriff is recognized in the Constitution, whereas all other law enforcers, uh, whether they be uh, municipal or whether they be sheriff or whether they be state marshals, it's the sheriff that has been recognized as the constitutional officer. That's right. And I'll, I'll say another thing about the 1855 Amendment. Uh, uh, it not only uh, destroyed or weakened the executive department, it really did a number into the judicial department also because one justice got impeached when, just, when Governor Samuel Wells fired all the sheriffs 
who were Republicans, and Justice Woodbury Davis would not recognize the sheriff in his county where he was uh, holding court, and he got unlawfully impeached when the governor and his council with the legislature, only part of the legislature, which is the Senate, they brought uh, charges against him, and it has to start with the House of Representatives, and it mm-hmm. never did. So he was unlawfully impeached because he wouldn't recognize the fraudulent sheriffs. And all this is in your book, right? I, I do a whole chapter on Justice Woodbury Davis in my book. And we, we also did a show on that, too, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yes, we and did. And when you look at the, uh, at the court case uh, of 1856, here's what it says. I'm only going to read just a little piece here. It says here, uh, and I'm not going to talk too much about it. It says here, uh, uh, because the said Woodbury Davis at the terms of the Supreme Judicial Court holden by him for the County of Cumberland in the month of January last and in the present month of March has refused to recognize who had before been duly appointed and commissioned and qualified as sheriff of the said county. So it goes to show that sheriffs are appointed, commissioned, and qualified. And, Dottie, you've got that on your blog. Yes, and we did put up um, examples of commissions, and I, I have to find the link on that one. Uh, to put it out, you know, in the chat room. There's so many links here. So many. Yeah, I know. So many, but uh, I'm looking for it. But, yes, right. we did do that. Yes. Yes, and it's very important to understand the sheriff is the highest constitutional officer of the of the county that he has been appointed to. Okay? Well, that all the police are statutory officers. They're not constitutional officers. The founding fathers were not about to unleash a police force upon the people. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what makes this document so important to us because it, it fills in a lot of the holes that we had and a lot of the questions that we've had as to why we have a militaristic police department today and... Um, now, now that we're starting to see how this um, document began, that, that series. Now, something else has happened over the years, or yes, over the years, and I believe you mentioned this last time we were on the radio show, is that since then we now have FEMA, and then its offshoot group for Maine, MEMA, and then it branched off into... Um, Homeland Security, which is the president's own army. And so now we have FEMA, MEMA, Homeland Security, and we have this document here where the uh, state police come under the the military. So um, why, why, why do we wonder anymore why we have this problem with the police being militarized? They're all connected. That's right. Okay, and and the militia, see, see, our militia has been has disappeared under the the, the control of of the Constitution since 1916. 
See, what that did is that we could no longer protect ourselves. Right. And Governor Curtis was the governor at the time when this came about, right? Yeah, and under the control... Under the control of uh, uh, the, the Constitution and the people, and when you can no longer protect yourself, you're in big trouble. Yep. Well, look, well uh, Governor I Curtis was the governor at the time, and did you see the uh, link to his message to the legislators in 1971? I um, think I to you guys. Yeah, I sent that to you, Doug. You have that. What's that? You said there's a link to that? Yes. Yes. I'll put it up in the chat, and I'll send okay. it to you again, Phil. Okay. I know I sent enough stuff, so you probably missed it, but I'll so send I it to you. I haven't home all day, and I won't be home until tomorrow anyway. Right. But I'll send you the link, and I'm going to put it out in the chat for the people. But, you know, he would do this, and then the legislators would go along with this. And, you know, some of the people that were there are still in place today. Mm. You know, Selwyn Millett was on the, um, in the legislature at the time. Okay. Um, uh, John Martin, and he's back. So how are things going to change when we have the same people all the time, Phil, please? Well, we not only have the same people, but we have the same type of people right. who follow in their footsteps. Right. That has to change. Well, um, what we saw today, for a good example, is basically that same thing. Um, I, I think we probably finished about enough of this uh, 1971 document. And if I could explain a little bit about what happened today in Augusta is that they had seven bills under this one committee to uh, to discuss. And because there were so many people who showed up, the committee decided to give three minutes to each person. And no matter how many bills you wanted to speak on, all you had was a total of three minutes. So uh, if you had three bills to speak on, you had a minute for each one. If you had six bills to talk on, you only had 30 seconds on each one. Now, does that make sense to you? Yeah. Well, yeah, it does, because it's about power and control. There you go. Now, okay, I and so... At the time, I didn't realize that they were going to do that. I wanted to speak on every one of those bills, so I signed up for seven bills. And... Um, when I got up there to speak, I handed out my material, and as I was handing out my material, they started the clock. Before I knew it, three minutes were up, and they said, Mr. Maletti, thank you very much for showing up. We'll uh, we'll have the next person come up and identify themselves, and they can speak for three minutes. Hey, I Phil, could, which com- which committee was uh, this before? This was criminal ju- um, criminal justice and public safety. Dan Godosky. Um, he is one of the senators that were on there, but they've got a new uh, new chair. Uh, her name is Rosen. She's the uh, wife to Senator Rosen, who was um, head of the finance department last time, and um, now she's she's taken his place. 
not not on the finance department, but now she's she's uh, basically taking his place uh, in, in the legislature. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, she's uh, she's really strict uh, as far as that time goes. Um, she knew that I was there representing three groups. She knew that uh, the information that we had was research. And when she shut me off, I made a statement to the fact that um, aren't you interested in the information that we have to give to you? And she said, your three minutes is up. You know, that's not but, fair. Oh, it isn't fair. But um, I failed to mention to you that they they themselves, the, the legislature, took a full four hours discussing these seven bills before they let us speak. So you figure oh. we, we, we drove for uh, two and a half hours to get here. We waited for four hours, came before the committee, uh, spoke for three minutes each, and that was the end of it. So you wow. Know, you know, they expected there. you to get tired and leave. Well, yeah, yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, when they when they uh, started numbering everybody who came in, everybody got a number. It was like you know you uh, you go to the grocery store, pick a number. Uh, everybody got a number, and um, they they had the people speak by numbers. And I remember them writing down. It was well over seventy at the time, and that's not counting the people who just came to support the issues. You know, they, they, they wanted the legislature to understand that even though they weren't speaking, that there would be people there to uh, show their support for, for, these, for a lot of these bills. And um, several people just couldn't wait anymore. We, we were done, um, and I was only number 17, and I think a few of the other guys were up in the uh, low 20s. So by the time they they got done and we were ready to leave, it was five o'clock. So I I have absolutely no idea how long it took for for the rest of the people to get up to speak. But um, you you talk about fairness. There was no fairness there. And they didn't expect that. They didn't expect to operate in fairness. No, well they never do. Right. No, they never do. This right. was the worst time, and I'll tell you. With how they usually work it is uh, they they bring up one bill, they'll open up the committee to discuss one bill, they'll bring in the sponsor and co-sponsor and um, any other legislators that agree or disagree with the bill. Then they open it up to the people to, who either agree or disagree or or, or do neither and then that bill is, is, is spoken on. What they did this time is you could speak on either one of the bills, but you only had three minutes. So um, it, it became, uh, it was it was uh, chaos, I would say. Really, yeah. Well, they probably <laughs> got a little shook up when there were so many people there because a lot of people don't attend these hearings. Mm. And... It sounds like there were a lot of people, and I'm glad that, you know, a lot of Mainers showed up for this. Well, I give a lot of credit to Eric Brakey. He's the senator, uh, the, the main senator that um, 
catch him, and he did a fantastic job in in, uh, in being calm, and he answered the questions, and kind of made uh, made made the person who asked these questions look foolish. And Ricky Long, uh, bless him, um, he he's uh, he's really a hero, and uh, I, I hope he he's able to come on tonight. Uh, he might be on tonight. Well, uh, I'd like to see him come on. We asked him if he uh, wouldn't be able to come on, and we're still waiting for um, for Tom Luis to come on because we've we've got to discuss tomorrow. Uh, okay. I, I think it's a, a real important thing to uh, to cover uh, private property rights and, and how they're being taken away today. Not necessarily by our own legislature, but by uh, organizations that uh, are working using the United Nations uh, direction. And uh, Mr. Deweese, who came in from Virginia, came in this morning, uh, is is, uh, probably tired as we speak. We all are. And... um, I believe he's going to be able to speak for about a half hour to an hour tomorrow uh, for the opening because uh, Ricky Long, who has also sponsored this film, has given up his time so that Mr. Deweese could uh, explain the bill uh, because he's an expert. And not that Mr. Long isn't either, but uh, this this is the expertise that Mr. Deweese has. Okay, so Phil, we can continue talking about the document if you want next week, and we have two mainers um, I see in the chat room, so it could be Tom and it could be maybe Representative Long. Um, Bring them in? Yeah, yeah, bring them in, but be cautious that these are the Portland people who, and and I'll say ahead of time, if this is the Portland people and they're going to use some disgusting language, I'm going to find out who their mummies are and have them take their phone away from them. All right. Leon, will you just unmute one at a time and let's see who's there? Hello, Maine. Maine? Hello? Okay, then mute that one, Leon. It's pro- It's not who will... We're, okay, unmute the other one. Hello, Maine? Are you there? Hello? Okay, no one is responding. So maybe it's somebody who got the message, Phil. Maybe somebody's mommy took their phone away from them. Well, yeah, maybe. Uh, well, we'll see. Um, you know, we'll keep an eye on the two, on the mains again, and we can try them unless they can't get through for some reason. But... Um, Still muted, yes. We did unmute them, and they didn't answer guest three, so we're not sure who it is. Uh, But, Leon, if you want to try each one again one more time. Hello, Maine. Maybe they can't hear me. Phil, maybe if you speak, they may hear you. Hello, Maine. Uh, We've we've unmuted you. Uh, Would you like to have something to say? That wouldn't be me, would it? Okay, who's this? This is Tim. Oh, hi, Tim. (laughs) That's you. Okay, now we know it's you. We'll talk to you later. I didn't know. I was unmuted. 
Thank Thanks. you, Tim. Have a good day, Tim. Yep. All right, then, Lee, try the other one. Okay, so maybe you make the um, announcement. Whoever. Hello, Maine. Uh, we'd like to have you say something on our show as long as it's something nice and something relevant to what we've been talking about. Nope, that's that's not our people. Okay. Okay, well then, uh, we can continue with um, the sheriff until we see another main number come up. Well, before we do that, let's continue on with this Agenda 21. Um, a lot of people are not aware of what Agenda 21 is. Um, this is a program that was set up by people in the United Nations, people who are very influential in the United Nations, people from other countries who who, uh, who have decided that they want full control over the people based on the idea that if if people are under control of various countries, then they're not going to cause wars and uh, famines and starvation of various countries that they'll all be looking out for each other. Agenda 21 was uh, named Agenda 21 based on the fact that Agenda 21 was going to take over fully and completely in the 21st century. That's where they came up with Agenda 21. Now, back in 19... 92, uh, at that time, the president felt uh, that he was going to introduce um, Agenda 21 to uh, to the United States, and uh, a gentleman by the name of Michael Kaufman decided that uh, he'd been studying this issue for a while, a patriot, a person who believed in freedom and the Constitution, decided that he was going to intervene in this movement and made contact uh, with Senator Mitchell and proved to Senator Mitchell that um, this was going to be a complete takeover for the uh, people here in the United States. And he uh, he showed that book to Senator Mitchell. There's only three books here in Maine. I had to get mine from from England. Uh, that's how how rare these uh, these books are. And um, he, he had obtained this book himself back in 1992, showed it to Senator Mitchell, and Senator Mitchell decided that this was not going to happen in um, in this country. This was at that time uh, for President Bush, the first Bush. When, um, when President Clinton became president, he realized that he wasn't going to get Agenda 21 through this country, uh, through the legislature. So what he did was he created an executive order to uh, have all the states uh, create uh, an environmental direction under the auspices of the United Nations based on their guidance and whatever. And uh, it's been going on since 1992. Could you imagine that? Now, for those of you who, um, who are old enough to remember... Uh, Bush number one used to always say, uh, one world order. Uh, things will be different under a one world order. And at that time, I never understood or realized what he was saying. Uh, but when you think about what's happened over the years, what that's exactly what they're trying to do is to create this 
one world order. Um, what they've done now is created uh, various rules and regulations through the EPA, and then it filtered down through the DEPs, uh, especially through the DEP here in Maine, and especially LERC. LERC uh, initiated mostly everything that the United Nations had as, as a direction, and um, we can see how that's depopulated the north. It's a job killer. And before I go any further, I'm going to ask my friend here if they made any telephone calls or if they're jumping on to this. Who's this friend? Uh, this is Bob Roy. Hi, Bob. Phil, we have a main, uh, another main that came on. It could be Tom, too. Well, let's try it. All righty. Un unmute the uh, last main that came in, Phil. I mean, Leon. There's only two. Uh, I got a third one on here now. Really? Uh, yeah. I'm not seeing it. All right. There are two mains that are that are blocked here. Are those the same ones? Look like it. Okay. All righty. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, bring Bob on, uh, Phil. Um, Bob is trying to make that telephone call, but it, it didn't go through. Okay. Um, so anyway, this has been going on since 1992. We've lost a lot of good land, um, and when I say we lost, the people who believe in Agenda 21 will say that that was no loss, and you can look at it in two different ways. They try to preserve land, uh, but what, what they've done by preserving land is they've taken it out of the market, uh, land that might have been used uh, for farming, land that might have been used to produce lumber uh, for for uh, building materials, uh, for growing foods, farming, or for, uh, for making paper, uh, paper industry. So what's happened is by purchasing a lot of this land and forcing these businesses to uh, go out of business, what's happened is the taxes in these areas have, have gone up, people have lost their jobs, They've left the communities, and as an end result, the um, the northern tier of Maine has become depopulated. The exact same thing is going on in Washington County right now with the uh, laws, rules, and regulations that have been created on the fishing industry. We lost the last sardine canning industry uh, around the Lubeck area. There was a uh, mustard company that used to sell mustard to this canning company for for sardines, and now the mustard company uh, is starting to have problems in keeping their their head above water. So one industry after another is uh, is dying in Maine, and we're and people are moving out of Maine because there's very little industry anymore and less and less. Well, we're losing our young people, and we've tried to show this to our legislators, and some of them are starting to understand now, and this is one of the reasons why we asked Mr. Luis to come into this uh, territory to, to give that discussion. 
Okay, I'd, I'd like to add something to what you, you're talking about. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, agenda 21, before Agenda 21, guess what? It was the Forest Service. In my little town here in Maine, a lot of farms were bought out by the federal government, which is the Forest Service, um, and, and these farms were bought out, and now it's the Forest Service. Uh, and, uh, and about, oh, I would say four or five miles from my little town, a whole town was wiped out, bought out, and now it is all Forest Service. The Forest Service is the same idea as Agenda 21. It, what it does is that it takes the land out of the private sector and puts it into the public, which is government. Exactly. Now, when I mentioned 1992, that doesn't mean that's when they first started. They actually started in the 70s. Right. And, and the, it took several years uh, for them to come up to steam. Right. And the Forest Service, I believe, uh, by 1911, uh, a lot of these farms were bought out. And a whole town called Hastings has been bought out. Now it's all Forest Service, uh, controlled by the government. Um, and 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 it's it, it you know it's property that can never be developed. Uh, no one can own the property and build ho- homes. They can't build businesses. I mean, it's just sitting there growing trees. Uh, Phil, Bob yes. is on the um, call. Lee, why don't you unmute him and let Bob come in? Hi, Bob. Hey, how are you? Hey, Bob. Okay, Phil, there's your Bob. <laughs> of course, I'm standing. Uh, I'm sitting five feet from Phil, so uh, I get Phil both directions here by phone and by live presence. <laughs> okay, Phil, you wanted Bob here. Room. There you go. You wanted Bob, and Bob is on the call. Well, what I wanted Bob to do is to make telephone calls to Tom DeWeese or Jack to see if uh, they can't bring bring on either uh, Ricky Long or, or Tom DeWeese. But I, they they may be en route traveling, and I'm really not sure where they are. They were aware of the fact that they needed to be on tonight, um, so anything could have happened. Yeah, okay, yeah. Bob, I see that... Um uh, Jack just sent a message on the chat room, and he said, Right, Tom and he mentioned that Tom ready. is almost ready. Okay, so that's where we are oh, with, with Tom right now. Okay, so Tom will call shortly, and I noticed that uh, you look, a rustic watchman is on the call as well, just been unmuted. That could be him. Right, he just came on, and uh, maybe he can tell us where um, Tom is. Jack, you there? Jack, Jack, are you there? He can't hear me, I guess. Hello, Phil, Jack. Can hear you. Jack, can you hear me? This is Tom. Good evening. 
Tom Dewey, Good thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, I want um, to introduce you to the people. Uh, our special guest is Tom DeWeese, and uh, Tom is the president of the American Policy Center, and I want to thank you for coming to Maine and speaking up uh, at the legislature on people's uh, private property rights and, and preventing this Agenda 21 policy. And you're going to be um, testifying tomorrow before the Judiciary Committee, correct? That's correct, yeah. yeah. All right. So why don't you and Phil take it from here? You've spent the day together, and Phil, um, take it from here. Well, I just want to give Mr. DeWeese the, the opportunity to kind of explain a little bit more about Agenda 21 than, than I had and how he fits into this this whole thing. Okay. Well, I you know I've been fighting this since the beginning. That in fact we were we were fighting some of these policies before there was an Agenda 21. It was uh, uh, the we were noticing that the policies that were coming out under the name of protecting the environment were just absolutely decimating private property rights across the country and building the power of government. And uh, so we started fighting that back before 1992. Uh, it was in 1992 that the uh, Earth Summit was held by the United Nations, 50,000 delegates in Rio de Janeiro, including 179 heads of state, a whole lot of bureaucrats, a lot of diplomats, and a whole lot of uh, non-governmental organizations all converged there to, to create what they called an agenda for the 21st century on how to reorganize human society. And uh, that's exactly what it's designed to do. And after the... Uh, the summit was over, and, and George H.W. Bush uh, signed for the United States, saying, oh, yeah, this sounds like a good idea to me. Uh, These same NGOs went into the federal government. Uh, Bill Clinton created the President's Council on Sustainable Development. The NGOs were part of that, and uh, th their purpose was to make it U.S. policy. See, the, 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 the proponents of this now ridicule us about Agenda 21 by saying it's not a treaty, it's not a law, uh, and it, it can do absolutely nothing for to anybody. It has no uh, enforcement capability, no funding, whatever. That's all true. However, when they then go into our government and begin to create uh, programs, grant programs, things like that, to enforce it, now it becomes the law of our land. And that's what the President's Council did. That's what uh, they, they created these grant programs, and that's what they... Uh, uh, they started moving. Once they did all that, these grant programs through HUD, through EPA, through uh, other federal agencies have strings attached. Those strings are Agenda 21. They are restrictions on energy use, on water use, uh, bringing in international building uh, codes and plumbing and electrical and things like that. Uh, in, uh, all kinds of ways to mandatory to develop our communities, and that's all through Agenda 21. The uh, then they went into the states and they lobbied in the states to get the states to pass legislation that says uh, that communities had to do a comprehensive development plan. Now you've got the communities saying, well, what is a comprehensive development plan? And the same NGOs come pouring into the communities, your city councilmen, your county commissioners, saying, hey, don't worry about it. We've got it all right here in a box for you. It's got everything. We've got building codes. We've got, uh, you know, all. 
and we've got the money for it too because we've got these grants. And there it is. That's the way it came. An innocuous 20-year-old document is what they call it now. Back then, and when they first did it, they called it a comprehensive blueprint. Uh, they changed from a comprehensive blueprint to an, a nothing document, an old document that means nothing, when we started to make it mean something. And they started to hide it. You know Jonathan Gruber on the, you know, what he said about health care and how stupid we all were about that and how Nancy Pelosi and Barack Obama and Harry Reid kept saying, Jonathan Gruber, who's that? Never heard of him, even though they were paying him millions of dollars and they all said he was the expert. Same tactics used on Agenda 21. And uh, now they're all sitting there saying, never heard of it. Don't know what you're talking about. But uh, it does exist, and, uh, and we've called them on it. <clears throat> Now, Phil, did you say represent, Representative Long may come on? Uh, there is a main number. Do you want me to uh, see if that's Representative Long? Yes, uh, I was. I was thinking that maybe Mr. Deweese and Long were together in the same room. I'm yeah, not we sure. are. Oh, okay. So uh, that's probably I, him. I can. I can hand the headset over to him. Yeah. Yeah, I think that'd be a lot easier. All right, hang okay, on. Okay, unmute main, uh, the last one, uh, Leon, please. Hello. Well, Rick here. Well, hello, Representative Long. I'm so glad you made it. And how are you doing this evening? Well, thanks for being here. We're doing okay and going to get info from you and, and Tom. So, Phil, do you want to take it from here with what you guys talked about? Well, we didn't talk much about Agenda 21 today. Today was mostly on the firearms, but we need to talk about tomorrow. Um, and this is a bill that uh, Representative Long has sponsored, and maybe we could find out why he wanted to sponsor it and why he wanted to bring in Mr. Deweese. Okay. Yes. Thank you, Phil, for that intro. I brought this bill back forward because... Uh, I'm tired of big government taking our lands by deception, putting more restrictions onto us. And if I'm going to go forward with a bill, I figure we should get the best representation and experts on the Agenda 21. And working with Jack, he put me in touch with Tom, and it is from what I've gathered from different people that he's one of the foremost experts on the subject. So. Who better to present the bill than somebody that actually knows what they're talking about? It's, I know enough to be dangerous, but that's where it ends. So I figured get a professional and let's, let's go after our property rights first and see where we can go. Now, Rick, you tried to put a bill in last year. Um, you want to explain that a little bit? Yes, yeah, so Alabama had passed the law putting a ban on Agenda 21. We had the hearing. I believe there's around 130 people testified in support of putting a ban on Agenda 21. One person opposed, but the committee, uh, when they went into work session, they just made a motion not, not to pass, and that was the end of it. So what you're so saying I figure, is... Go ahead. I figure we got to learn from our mistakes of the past, and take it one step at a time. Well, that was not your mistake. That was their mistake for, for not following through with it. Um, 
you you well, what you're saying here is that the people explained to the legislature that they wanted the bill passed, but what you're saying is that it was the legislators who decided they weren't going to pass it. Yes, uh, that's exactly what happened. So where is the representation to the people? Yes. The people came forward and they uh, put their objections into Agenda 21. Uh, they had the concerns. They voiced them with their three minutes that they was allowed to speak, and the legislature failed to will, to put it bluntly. Now, is, is this a practice that uh, they try to get away with uh, very often? Yes, they do it quite often. <laughs> from from what I see, they do it all the time. Well, uh, Represent- I could try to go ahead. I was just going to ask you, what what's your feel of how other reps feel about this bill? Uh, if you want me to be honest with you, there's a small number of reps that actually know a little about Agenda 21. Majority of them are they're either not paying attention to it or they're just oblivious to it even exists. Well, maybe after Tom speaks, maybe they'll see the light. Well, that's what I'm in hopes for. Because I have talked to a number of reps, and they are—they feel that we're taking the right approach by going after the, our property rights and personal property. So I think that's the ideal way to go after talking to Tom. Well, we are lucky that he was able to get here. Tom, yes, thanks so much. Yeah, the same thing. If yes, anybody, uh, I'm just going to mention, if anyone wants to meet Tom DeWeese, uh, I guess this is an invite on the uh, chat, uh, that they will be at the Senator Inn for breakfast at 9.30 tomorrow. So if you want to meet uh, Mr. DeWeese, he'll be there. And then go and meet them to the hearings. Uh, I'd like to ask Tom a question. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, okay. Tom. Would yes. you like to speak to him again? One second. Yes. All right, I'm back. Uh, hi, Tom. This is Lise. Um, I was just mentioning, I think before you came on, about the Forest Service. In, in my little town here in Maine, uh, way back around 1911, the Forest Service bought up a whole lot of farms. And one small town, which was a booming town at one time, uh, if you look at all, some of the old photos of it, uh, it was a booming town. The whole town got decimated and bought out by the federal government, the Forest Service, that the land has been taken out of the private sector and is now in, into the Forest Service, has been there for over 100 years. Isn't this very similar to Agenda 21? Yeah, there's, there's nothing new about Agenda 21. These, these ideas have been around for a very long time, and pieces and parts of them have been implemented over, over many years. Uh, what they did with, with Agenda 21 was they took all of these basically socialist ideas and they uh, put them under an umbrella 
under the guise of protecting the environment. That was the new element that they added to it. Uh, and, and people who had resisted these ideas over a long time uh, suddenly were saying, well, we have to protect the environment or we won't have an earth to live on, so we need to do that. And they suckered them right into that. Uh, but but the you know taking land and and ruling and controlling uh, industry and all that has been around for a long time zoning all these kind of things and uh, step by step we we've, we've usurped uh, private property rights and we've we've damaged business uh, the end result of all of it and we're seeing it now in a major way is the loss of tax dollars the loss of industries the loss of jobs the misery is growing shortages are are taking place costs are rising and uh, government is getting larger and larger and this is the number one thing that we need to focus on on uh, with all this about what is what is really happening with the imposition of agenda 21 it is that government is getting more powerful and uh, and what that brings is more corruption and so now you people are finding that they have no say in what goes on there the elected officials in many many cases don't listen uh, in a lot of cases, those elected officials are, uh, unbeknownst to themselves, are giving away their, their power, which we elected them to, to do things. They're giving it to these non-governmental organizations that call themselves stakeholders, and we're creating non-elected councils to do everything, which takes government farther away from the people. And uh, this, this is one of the real dangers, one of the real threats of, of all this uh, is, is, and that's the purpose of it, is to grow the power of government. And you know, Tom, in this particular case with this legislation coming up, uh, the elected officials are giving up their own property rights. Are they no, not? They're, they're giving up their property rights. They're, they're giving up their uh, uh, their the rights that they had and, and, and the duties, really, that they had as, as elected officials. They they just kind of rubber stamp this. this. Stuff. And some yeah, don't, they don't understand don't what they're it. doing. Yeah, yeah, many of them don't. Some do, but many don't. No. Um, well, hopefully you you shed the light tomorrow. I, uh, what time is I'm that come meeting? Straight at it. Uh, what time is the meeting? One o'clock. One o'clock tomorrow. Yeah. One o'clock, um, and that is uh, in the um, Judiciary Committee hearing room. I uh, believe the Judiciary right. Hearing Committee room. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, people, that's room 438 at the mm-hmm. State House at 1 o'clock mm-hmm. for those who can make it. Be, no. Before we move, got... Tom, could, uh, Tom, could you explain what public-private uh, uh, agreements are and how dangerous they can be? Sure. The, uh, let me just back up a little bit. The, the uh, three tenets of Agenda 21, it's in the logo that they use and, and in the language they use. There's three main parts to it. There is uh, the, the environment, and you know, that's the excuse. There is social equity or social justice, uh, which is the main part of it. And if you don't understand that, redistribution of wealth, then you don't understand Agenda 21. And the third thing is the economy, uh, or economics, and that is public-private partnerships for the, for the most part. This is major corporations that are working hand-in-hand with the government. 
and the government then gains the independence of the of the business. They can hide behind it and let the businesses do the dirty work. The businesses get the power of government through eminent domain and uh, certain tax breaks and things like that. They get all kinds of goodies from it. And they sign on to promote these policies through their own means, with their own advertising dollars and that sort of thing, or the products that they will sell or not sell. Uh, the other thing, part of that, is developers that are working behind the scenes with uh, city councilmen, county commissioners, and others, uh, basically dividing up the town. Since the Kelo decision of the Supreme Court in 2005, uh, which said basically there are no private property rights if a community can decide uh, to use property in a, uh, more for the good of the community than it's being used for now, then they have a right to take that land. And, and the example has always been uh, kind of used that if you have a Motel 6 and you tear that down and build a Ritz-Carlton, you now have more tax dollars, and uh, uh, that's for the good of the community. What's really happening is that uh, little neighborhood communities, uh, a lot of them were sprung up after World War II, for example, uh, little developments where people had maybe a quarter of an acre of land or something, had little ranch houses on it. You have 100 houses in that community. They can now come in and bulldoze all those houses and build expensive high-rise condos, and they get more tax dollars and in some cases provide jobs because you've got building going on, things like that. Well, that's for the good of the community. And, and so this is another form of a public-private partnership between the developer and the, and the, and the local government. Uh, these developers that play ball uh, can get access to land that they couldn't get access to if they had to buy it on a free market. And uh, so this is, this is the other way it works. It, 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 Public-private partnerships are fascism. It's right out of the Mussolini play, playbook uh, from fascist Italy in World War II. <clears throat> So, so Tom, this is, is about EPA, rights, public rights versus individual rights. I'm sorry, public rights versus individual rights. Yes. There's no such thing as public rights. I know, but that, but, but that's. <laughs> but that's, that's what they what do. It, yeah, that's that's the term they use, no, no doubt. Sounds uh, like. But they make this stuff up when, they, when it becomes convenient for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But 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 that's what it sounds like. Uh, yeah. uh, these big corporations with the help of government and developers and all that stuff, they talk about public rights, which is your yeah. community, uh, yeah. as opposed to individual rights uh, to own property and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I'm not aware of anywhere that God gave rights to the community. That's uh, right. <laughs> so. That's right. Uh, Tom, is the EPA involved in this? Oh, goodness, yes. <laughs> The EPA is this. They are the, you know, three-headed monster here. Uh, in fact, I've got a document from 2011 uh, issued by the EPA that talks about where sustainability came from and, and you know, where, where their policies came from. And they give about five or six different sources of that. Number five on it is Agenda 21. Now, that was 2011 even though they're in complete denial that it exists anymore. Uh, I've also got from uh, 1998, from the Federal Register, the EPA's Challenge Grant Program, one of the main pr grant programs that are being implemented, around, you know, enforced around the country, 
says right in the report on it in the Federal Register, this is also implementation of Agenda 21. Uh, EPA has been at the table all the way through. This is where the EPA gets its ideas, its policies, its power, uh, all coming from those ideas. Agenda 21, it means agenda for the 21st century. It means uh, a plan to reorganize human society. And as we just explained, the, the way that we're, we're with these non-elected councils and uh, the public-private partnerships and all that, we are changing the, the uh, face of government, the, the, the source of our government in this country, or, I mean, excuse me, the system of our government, away from elected representatives to non-elected councils, regional governments. And, uh, and, you know, one of the things I'll tell you is uh, uh, if you challenge a, a regional council and say you're not elected, they will say, well, there's elected people on this board. We've got city councilmen, county commissioners on this, on this board. Yeah, but they weren't elected to that board. They were elected to serve the people as the county commissioners, the city councilmen, and what they're doing is using this council to hide behind the scenes, away from the people, unelected un, uh, uh, by the people, unresponsive to the people. And uh, one of the real problems is that they are legislating in that capacity, and they are applying for these federal grants in that capacity, and they're untouchable. They have absolutely no right to do that. Uh, they, what, and, and what I'm encouraging legislators to do across the country is pass regulations or legislation that says that these boards, these councils, cannot legislate and cannot apply for these, these uh, grants. They have to go back home to their uh, position that they were elected to and do it through that board or, I mean, through that city council or county commission uh, uh, where they have to answer to the voters. And uh, this is one of the things we're trying to do to, to, to turn things around. Tom, in reading some of the stuff that you have and some of the stuff other people have, I'm starting to see a relationship in the words that they used. And public-private was one of those phrases that they used. Um, sustainable is another uh, buzzword that we we hear it quite often, and um, what's some of the other words that we might uh, have to look out for? Well, stakeholders is a biggie. Uh, you will hear in, in your county commission meetings, your city council meetings, uh, you'll look at, even look at legislation. It'll talk about how they're going to work with the stakeholders. These stakeholders are the carpetbaggers of our day. They are not from your community. They are private, non-elected uh, non-governmental organizations with a political agenda and they with grant money they're they're wealthy they move around the country and they move in and 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 get behind your city councilmen, your county commissioners in your legis state legislators and they uh, start implementing these plans they're not stakeholders you are you're the one that has to live there under what what they do uh, so when you hear that term that is Agenda 21. Make no mistake about it. Uh, you know, you also hear, uh, you know, wetlands. Uh, I don't have the whole list here in front of me, but the, the, there's there's all kinds of, of regulations and policies and plans, rails to trails, uh, you know, comprehensive development plans, all these kinds of things that you hear. Yeah. What about right. They have. They they're controlling. You know, or trying. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. 
Uh, what's some of those words that we hear in Common Core quite often? That's some of the same it. ones. Some of the same yeah. ones for the same I purpose. The folders yeah. quite yeah. often in Common Core. Yeah. And what what's your one of the things you'll hear now? Uh, you know, every time that we really get on something and and start to expose it, they of course they don't change the plan; they change the name. And uh, the American Planning Association, after we started to score some victories and, and scared them to death, they started holding boot camps to train their planners how to deal with us. I've got a, uh, I don't have it here in front of me, but it's a, it's a document called Glossary for the Public. And the opening line of this document says, what is said and what is not said is equally important in building support for planning. And back in the pages of it, it has a whole list of words not to use anymore because it makes us see red. Words like sustainable, smart growth, uh, uh, consensus, things like that. Don't use these anymore. And I have joked that eventually they're going to have to start doing their presentations in sign language because they won't have any words left. But uh, that's what they do, you know. <laughs> Right, and and I think um, Charlotte Elizabeth talked about that. How she she uh, went to a meeting uh, where she, where she learned how to deal with herself, uh, who was one of the <laughs> you know uh, somebody somebody told her go go attend this meeting and you're going to learn how they deal with people like you. Probably by name, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 and that's and. and you know, what we have to do is, is the, the minute you go to one of these consensus meetings, they, these consensus meetings are run by uh, professionally trained facilitators. They're trained in psychology, and they have a predetermined outcome, and they know if they do their job well, not only do they lead the group to that predetermined outcome, but they make everybody in the room think that was their idea, if they're really good at it. And, uh, and if you start to agitate or, or ask questions that they don't like or, or you know, start to question who they are and what they're doing, they will either throw you out of the room or they'll start to pick on you to, to the point where you won't speak anymore because you're afraid of being picked on some more. And uh, uh, a lady by the name of Beverly Ekman has written a, a manual on how to counter these uh, facilitated meetings, and uh, that, that's something that everybody should have as a, as a guideline. Wow. Oh. Very powerful. Yeah. Lise, when uh, I, I remember you telling a story how you were invited to a group at one time and you were able to see how they were trying to manipulate you. Uh. <laughs> no, no, this, this was Lise. Lise, are you still on? Yeah, I'm right here. Well, I, I remember when we were talking to Charlotte Elizabeth, um, and she was talking about how they were preparing the uh, teachers uh, how to deal with things, and you had brought up a subject when you were working in the hospital, how they wanted you to uh, do things. Oh, that was uh, uh, NTL, National Training Laboratory. The National Training Laboratory, their headquarters was in Virginia, and they used to come to Bethel from 1947, and I think they left like, I don't know, six or seven years ago. But I took five of their labs, okay? 
okay? And we were all broken up into small little groups. We were probably the large group was probably like 30, 35 people. We were broken up into small groups. We were given an exercise, you know, and I could see through the exercise, and, and, um, and I challenged the whole thing. Okay, and then all of a sudden I become the, the 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 awful person, the the you know, who do you think you are? Uh everybody agrees but you, what's the matter with you? And so on and so forth and I said, Now wait a minute And so I would explain my reasoning, um and and boy they didn't like it at all. They don't like being challenged. Absolutely, yeah. And that's what we need to do. We need to challenge him every step of the way and, uh, and stop, stop uh, accepting the stuff that they're trying to shove down our throats. We've got to get aggressive. We've got to start fighting back. We've got to get off the defense and get on the offense. Right. And, and one of the things I, I've, been, I've been saying several times while I've been here <laughs> to Jack and everybody, uh, my, my new slogan on this is, it is time that governments start to treat property owners like owners not like children and not like chattel. And we need to stand up and demand our right to be treated like an owner, to do on our – we're the ones paying for the property. We're the ones responsible for the property. And uh, we have our hopes and our dreams and our goals with that property. And uh, we somehow cower and start to say, oh, well, they won't let me do that. Really? Why? And, and, and you know, I th- we've got to start doing it. It's got to become our battle cry. Stop treating property owners like children. Just treat them like owners. And uh, well, I think I'm going to get a bumper like, sticker. <laughs> we, we That's why we like Anybody hear what me? What did you say, Liz? I said we get treated like tenants. Yes. As a, yeah. owners. Yeah. Okay, and these planning boards in these different towns, Boy, I'll tell you, I'm on a planning board, and and every time somebody comes in and they come in and ask permission to do something, you know, and I said, well, who are you asking permission of? The owner? Aren't you the owner? Why are you here asking permission uh, to to do this at a porch or a room or whatever? Uh, Don't you own the property? I said, do you suppose Thomas Jefferson would come in here and ask if he can put a bedroom or or a porch on his uh, his property? Of course not. Why are you here? <laughs> I always <laughs> play the devil's advocate. Yeah, well, that's what we've got to do. We've got to start making people think that way and and uh, and understand. We've got to stop cowering, and uh, yeah. you know that's what we're doing. I, uh, if I may, because I, I don't know how much more time I've got here, I wanted to just make a mention. Um, we have uh, introduced a uh, five point plan that. Uh, I believe if we can get it fully and implemented, we can make some major moves forward. First of all, I want people to stop looking down at their feet and saying we can't win, we've lost the republic, blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you something. Over the last four years, we have gotten over 150 cities in America to stop paying dues to ICLE. We have them terrified. The head of ICLE USA told us that, that they're terrified of us because they can't get new cities to join them. That's a major move forward. Uh, we have gotten, for the first time, we have legislators and city councilmen and county commissioners calling us, asking for help. Tomorrow is a historic day for our movement to be able to testify on a bill and begin to put a, a legislative plan together. Uh, 
And so we are moving forward. We, uh, we've never had these kind of things. Yes, they're baby steps. Yes, uh, you know, we, we are still losing on a lot of fronts, but we, are, we have a battle for the first time. We didn't have that for 18 years. We didn't have a battle. We do now. And people need to stop looking at their feet in defeat and saying we can't do anything. Uh, we can we can't do anything if we don't do anything, but we, we have plans. We put, I put this five-point plan together, and I'll just very quickly tell you what it is. It, uh, the very first thing about it is a uh, training seminar or, uh, uh, to uh, train. Uh, I want to bring elected officials together, people we're already working with from city council, county commissioner, state legislature, in a room working on language that will be effective in putting a legislative plan together where we don't come at it with just one bill. We come at it with several uh, different kind of bills. Those three things where they're coming after us, property rights, uh, 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 the uh, councils, unelected councils, and the grant money, we go after those three things. We can make major progress forward. Uh, and, and, and we want to put language together to do that. In the next room, I want to have a uh, group of activists from around the country training them how to support the legislation we come out with so that the legislators have support to, uh, uh, you know, say we aren't telling them to just stick their heads out there and get them cut off, that we're going to help them get it passed. The second thing in that plan is uh, we're putting together a video that will be narrated by County Commissioner Richard Rothschild in Carroll County, Maryland, who was the first county to get out of Ickley and begin to fight against Agenda 21. He's one of the most articulate spokesmen in the country on it. And this is an elected official speaking to elected officials. This video will be designed for elected officials uh, to explain to them what Agenda 21 is and what the consequences are. The, the title of it will be Your Actions Have Consequences. We'll get it to every single elected official in America. Uh, the third thing is to get field coordinators out in uh, the country to help local communities and activists organize uh, an, an effective plan. And the fourth thing is to put together a clearinghouse website. Uh, one of the things we lack right now is a coordinated communications. Uh, we've got some good legislation. We've got some bad legislation. We need to tell people what that is so they can share it. We need to have, uh, if you wanted to get involved in this fight and didn't know how, uh, is there anybody in your community involved, anybody in your state? We can list those activists, those leaders, so people know who they can, they can uh, contact. And so we have a clearinghouse of information like that that we can share. And the fifth part of the plan is to reach out to the general public that doesn't know anything about this. They're ignorant of it. Uh, we have just produced a television ad that we are now working to raise funds to get it aired that goes straight at Agenda 21 and what it's about, educating the people and uh, offering them a, a free booklet that we've produced uh, on what it is. And the job now is to get it aired uh, on uh, Fox News and on other network television and so forth to get as far and wide as we can uh, to get that out. The other thing we've done with that is we've created a symbol for the property rights movement. The symbol is uh, people, property, freedom. And we're working on putting together a statement of principles to go along with that. And the idea is that every property rights organization in the world uh, that is working on this, if they sign on to our statement of principles, 
will be able to use that symbol in their their ads so that and, and their other documents and stuff so people know that they're one of us. Uh, this plan is, we're working to put it all together right now. Uh, it's a five hundred thousand dollar budget. Uh, if anybody's interested in helping us with that, uh, you can go to a website we've created called APC, like American Policy Center, apcmoneybomb.com. And uh, we've put there, at apcmoneybomb.com, we've put together a one-hour video uh, on Agenda 21 and the five-point plan and how we need to raise money for it. And uh, there are instructions there if you wanted to have what we call a living room money bomb, to bring people into your, into your living room and, and uh, try to raise some funds for it. Uh, I've got people in uh, – actually, I'm, next month I'm going to be in New York in four different cities. Uh, where these are uh, designed to uh, help raise the money to, to put this thing you – know, put this plan together. And we're doing that in, in several other places too. So uh, anyway, that's the plan. That's what we're doing. Uh, our our uh, regular website, AmericanPolicy.org, We've got all kinds of new tools that we've created, and uh, I've got an archive of uh, articles that people can read uh, on all this, and they can go in and, and see uh, everything we know about it and uh, help them spread the word. So there you go. Tom, tell me that um, other uh, site that you have, AP or ABC? AP? APC, like American Policy Center, APCMoneyBomb.com. Okay. I know I talk too fast. <laughs> nope, that's fine. APC Moneyball, I'm looking for it, and I'm going to put the link up in the chat room yeah. for them, and I found we, it. We did, we did this video on there so that if you brought people into your living room, and you don't have to make the presentation. You don't even have to ask for money. You just play the video. I do it all for you. Uh, all, you need, all I need for you is get, you know, get your people together and uh, see what you can do with it. Well, that's great news, Tom. I'm excited, I, and it's beginning yes. to happen. I, I just the ad has been produced. The television ad has been produced. I signed off on it yesterday, and uh, now we're going to put it on uh, some sites like Indiegogo uh, to try to raise the funds for to get it aired. And uh, we're moving forward. We're step by step. We're getting these pieces and parts in place. Well, that's great news, Phil. Yeah, we just uh, clicked onto his site there, and uh, it's quite impressive. Yes, it is. Thanks. Yes, it is. Mm. So you guys are all set for tomorrow. I think so. Well, uh, I'm, I, I need to get some sleep, though. That's one thing for sure. Me too. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, guys, thanks so much for coming on. And, Tom, uh, you were a very special guest. Well, I and Long, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. I want to thank you for coming on. I know you guys have had a long day. You've got another long one coming tomorrow. And um, wish everybody well that speaks and uh, that they really listen to you, Tom. And let's hope that they open up their eyes, the ones who don't get it yet. Um, yes. And I You've really hope we us. have a good turnout. Well, I, I think that you will. And Phil can give us an update next week on this. And people out there, you you should call your reps and ask them to attend you know, that hearing, uh, the segment where Tom will be speaking. 
and let them get up to speed this, uh, learn about it if they know nothing about it. So, you know, get on the phone and, and call your reps. Uh, they have to be there. So ask them to please attend. Um, again, I want to thank you for coming on. And Phil, before we leave, um, I just want to make one mention. That, um, from what I'm, uh, what it appears to be, uh, Andy Parkinson, I think, is following you around, and uh, perhaps uh, writing stories again that you that you are a sovereign citizen. So she's probably going to follow you around tomorrow. And, you and she was the one that was t- the official picture taker there at the committee hearing. Oh yeah, the one that was dressed in green today. Yeah, old... yep. yeah. She's not going to be very complimentary, I'm afraid. I looked at a few of her posts. I'm not impressed. Okay, well, just giving you a heads up, Phil, and um, <laughs> you might see her face to face tomorrow. Maybe set her straight if you can. Yeah, you are not a sovereign citizen. I'll thank her. A little peck on the cheek. <laughs> <laughs> Lise, any last thoughts? Yeah, I, I want to thank uh, It was Rick a very Long. good uh, show tonight. Good. And who's Jack? Is that you? Yes, ma'am. Okay. What do you want to say? I want to say thanks for doing this. Appreciate you guys doing it. Show up tomorrow. Uh, Tom and I will be at the Senator Inn for breakfast. Uh, if you guys would like to show up, or anyone would like to just sit and chat. We'll be there from 9.30 to 10.30. Good. Huh? Okay. And Once again, I want to thank folks. all of... Whoops, go call ahead. Your, call, your, call your senators and reps. Tell them that they need to be sitting in listening to, even if they're not on the committee, they need to be sitting in listening to Tom's presentation. This is not just to get a bill passed. This is an educational opportunity. Call them. Your reps, call them, ask them if they have time to show up, only for half an hour, 45 minutes, but it's an educational opportunity for them, not just something about another bill being talked about. Right, and that's at the Judiciary Committing, uh, Committee Hearing Room. What room is it tomorrow? 38 at 1 p.m. What's the number? It's on the fourth the number, floor. What's that? Yeah, it's on the fourth floor, um, four four thirty something. Four thirty eight. Four thirty eight. Okay, gotcha. Yes. Okay. Thank okay, you, everyone, for coming in. Um, and I hope that you enjoyed the uh, program tonight because it was really interesting. And um, if you can possibly at all show up at the hearing tomorrow, and Phil, we will get an update from you next week. You sure will. All righty. Get some sleep. Have a good day tomorrow. You'll get an update on the Rustic Watchman show on Saturday. Okay. That's good, Jack. All righty, everyone. Thank you, and good night. Thank you, and good night. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.